and uh, appreciate our, our choir and all their work. Looking forward to a great year with them and uh, Brother Alton and all his work there. Let's turn our Bibles to Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4 and Nehemiah chapter 1 this morning. And uh, it's good to see you all. Hope that you've been well through the week. And uh, you know, preach on the passage here in chapter 4 where a famous verse comes from with the phrase there on the screen, for such a time as this. And uh, look at a thought here this morning. And uh, I think that, that we have a great, uh, we have the great privilege of living in our time. You know, I sort of was, a, as a young boy, always thinking about what it would have been like to live in other centuries, other time, other time periods. I, I used to love reading um, history books and things, and so I used to wonder about how that would be. But I think I like where we live and the time that we live in. All right, we have we have things today that I think some some people in times past would have just dreamed about, and we have great comforts. You know, when you visit different places, you start to understand that that God's just gracious to you, and that God's just good to you to um, to bring you to this time. Uh, and so, really, that that was a challenge that was given to Esther, and we're going to begin reading just to familiarize ourselves with the story. Uh, you know uh, the. The situation here where Esther became queen because of her beauty, the, the king uh, of, the, of, of the time didn't like the, didn't really um, find, uh, find the, his, the, his wife uh, very suitable to him, and so he started to search the land and, and really had a beauty pageant in the castle and found Esther to be the most beautiful of them all. And yet we see that that was God's design. And in, here in verse, four, uh, in verse 1, chapter 4, when Mordecai perceived that all was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry. So there was a, uh, there was a great outpouring of his emotion here because of, uh, of, the, of the decree that was signed by the king that, that all of the Jews were going to come into harm. Verse 2, and came even before the king's gate, for not, none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, in verse 3, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting and weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. And so they were going to come in great danger. There was, a great, there was a great threat to their lives. And because of that, they were mourning. They were greatly concerned, and they were showing it. And uh, yet we rem are reminded about Esther's position here in, in verse 4. And we note here that Esther herself is a Jew. And so Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her. So them knowing that she was a Jewess, uh, understood that this was her people, and, and she might have wanted to know why they were mourning, why there was a great concern. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved. And she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and to take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. Then called Esther for Hattak, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So she sent messengers and they wouldn't respond at first. So she sent one of her chief uh, servants 
there to ask this, what it was and why. Why, why are you grieving, Mordecai? Why are you all mourning? Why are you putting on sackcloth and ashes? So Hattak went forth to Mordecai unto the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him, and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. So here he spills the beans. He tells her the situation, and he gave him a copy of the writing of the decree in verse 8 that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she would go in unto the king to make supplication unto him and to make requests before him for her people. So uh, Mordecai figures of all the people that can do something, Esther, it's you. You're in the palace. You're his queen. You could go and appeal for us. And Hattak came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Verse 10, again, Esther spake unto Hattak and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whatsoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come unto, in, unto the king these 30 days. And she, so she's saying, there's a problem though. I can't really do much about it. I haven't been called into the presence of the king. There's a rule. There's a law. And, and unless I've been invited into his presence, even as his queen then I'm risking my life to be able to do that. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words, and then notice verse 13, then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think it not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. He's reminding her of her lineage, your Jewess as well, your Jewish uh, lady. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shalt their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou... And thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom? And here's a famous phrase, for such a time as this. He's reminding her that you have opportunity here, Esther. Look, God could, could bring deliverance and enlargement and rescue to the Jewish people from another place. But God has placed you in this time, in this place, for this reason, for such a time as this. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king. And, and she's asking for a fast. Why? Because it was such a risk for her to do this. She needed some spiritual backup. She needed some of those to pray and ask the Lord to, to help her. And she says this, which is not according to the law. And notice her response. And if I perish, I perish. What a courageous young lady Esther was. And I would say today that we need similarly courageous Christians in our day. And so Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. And so that's the story there. We know later on that Esther does go into the presence of the king. And he realizes then that he had made a mistake in trusting in that person called Haman. And so we, we see that, that God uses Esther for that time for a specific purpose, and that was to be a rescue to her people. And, and um, we note here also a similar situation. Look at Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. And we'll go back. Keep your finger in Esther or a bookmark there. We'll go back there. But Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1. 
And here another situation where, where the, the, the Jews were in, in turmoil. Their city had been uh, ruined because of captivity, because of a siege. And there they've been taken over. And here Nehemiah, who's the king's cupbearer, taken captive away. Notice the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, And it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace. Same place, different time. That Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah. And notice here what he says, And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped. So similarly, as, as Esther asked the question, so did Nehemiah, what, what's happening? What's happening with those that had escaped, which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem? And notice the response, And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burnt with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned, and certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And so he realizes that there was a great need. Here we have two characters sitting in the palace. Two characters who were in a comfortable situation. And yet it was these two characters that we note here, and we'll specifically We'll specifically focus on Esther. But we know these two characters who were, were, were used of God for such a time as they had. They were used of God to bring about uh, some, some restoration and some rescue to God's people. They were used of God for their specific time. And, and we know that Esther was born in a time where she was greatly needed. She had to steward the era that she was born in, and when the need became evident, she had to overcome certain barriers to be most effective. And I think today, as we think about that in, in, the, in, in, in our day, we have this time right now. You know, we can wish all we want, and we could, we could uh, pray even all we want to be born in a different era, to not have the things that we have to go through, but the reality is that will never change, Right? The, the reality is we live in this time. And whether we like it or not, we're called for such a time as this. We're called for this time. And because of that, we have the responsibility to steward the era and the time and the generation that God has called us to live in. We are here now. We were not then there before. And so we too are born for this season. And, and because of that, then, it's imperative for us to understand that each generation and each era needs God's people uh, to recognize that they're born to make a difference. We're here to make an impact for the cause of Christ. We're not just here to sit pretty. We're not just here to sit in comfort in the palace. We're here to make a difference, to make an impact in our time. And you know, in, in, our, in our Western civilization, it's like us, it's like Esther and Nehemiah being in the palace. We're in a place where it is, there's, there's great comforts around us. We're in a place where if we chose to, we could remain blissfully ignorant of the need. If we chose to, we could sit here in our padded pews. We could sit in our air-conditioned uh, vehicles. We could go about and make merry and build for greater things for, for, uh, for tomorrow. But the reality is there's some, something that God would have each and every one of us to do. There's something that we're meant to be part of. There's something that God's called us to do for such a time as this. And yet there's some barriers, I believe, that we need to overcome, just like Esther did 
And we're going to find that here. You see, God has specifically equipped and positioned us in our generation, just as Esther was placed to be used of the Lord in her generation. Each and every one of us has a skill set or a talent or an experience or, or, or some resources that God would use. See, Esther had her beauty. Moses had a rod. David had a sling. Samson had his strength. Gideon had a pitcher and a torch and 300 unlikely warriors. Solomon had wisdom. Peter had a big mouth. Paul was a Roman citizen trained in the law. They were all born for such a time as this. And God, I believe, will use you in who you are and what you can offer and what He's put in you if you would just surrender and be used for His glory and for His work. But to be used, I believe there's some things here that we need to overcome. We must overcome these things if we were to get to that realization that we're here for such a time as this. And we're going to see these in the life of Esther as we think about the need today. So let's pray. We'll ask the Lord to bless this time. I pray that you'd help us, dear Lord. Lord, I sense this morning, even in my own spirit, Lord, just a, a, a warring. Lord, perhaps uh, some, some warfare in even, uh, even in our own minds. I, I pray, Father, that you'd put, us, uh, put all those things away. Lord, put our minds at ease about, Lord, just the, uh, Lord, the Scriptures and what we're about to hear, dear God. And Lord, I pray that you'd please help our church. Lord, we need, we need renewing. Lord, we need, again, a, a great appetite for the things of you. And I pray that about myself, Father, knowing, Lord, that our hearts are so prone to wander, so prone to be distracted by the, the things of this world. So I pray that you'd help us this morning, dear God. I pray, dear Lord, that you'd help us to just consider, Lord, the, the Scriptures, but then also as you've intended it to be, Lord, that we would respond to your Scripture. I pray that you'd help us to just, uh, Lord, be hearers of the Word, but Lord, more importantly, doers of it. So I pray that as we're challenged, that we would, Lord, put ourselves in that situation, that, Lord, we'd allow you to speak to us as every individual. I pray that you just be glorified in it in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. And notice here the first thing that she had to overcome, she had to overcome her ignorance. The, the reality was that as, as people were around her mourning and weeping, Esther had no idea. You think about the proximity that she had in the, in, um, to the king. She, she was the, the king's wife, the king's queen. And yet, even, even in her closeness, in proximity, she didn't know that what was happening. She didn't know that this decree was signed, that Haman was influential in the court to, to be able to, to pass that decree onward. She didn't know. And so she was, she was a little clueless about what was happening around. And, and, and you know, the, the first thing that we need to overcome is, is this the first thing that Esther had to overcome was her, was sometimes, is sometimes our ignorance. We're just unaware of the problem and maybe even the opportunity. You know, many Christians live blissfully unaware of the need to step up, of the need to live for such a time as this. And, and let me just say that, that if we're unaware of that, that doesn't excuse us. It doesn't excuse the fact that, that, that we're unaware of the need. And we see here an attitude that, that Esther had, but, you know, oftentimes we, we live li our lives a little bit unaware. 
a little bit just ignorant of, of what's happening. I don't mean that to be in a, in a, in a demeaning way. But I'm just making, uh, I'm just making that statement like we're, sometimes we're unaware ourselves of the need. I remember when we, were, when we had just first moved here to Australia. And of course, we, we came from, uh, from a country where English wasn't the first language. It was a second language. And so we came over and we were quite young. My, my, I was seven. I believe my sister Irene was five turning six. And we were enrolled in the, in the public school. That, that was the only school available. And so we went, into the, we went to Rose Hill Public School, and, and I, I had uh, under my belt about two years' worth of schooling. All right, so I could speak a little bit of the language. I could speak English a little bit. I had an accent, but that was okay. That'll get worked out later on. But my sister Irene, she just didn't know how to speak English. She just didn't know how to speak. And so the poor thing, you know, every day she would come in, and she would just blissfully come into come into class, and she would sit there and not say a word. Why? Not because not she didn't want to be involved. No, because she just didn't know what was happening. She just was blissfully unaware because of the language barrier. So she would sit there, the poor thing, and then sometimes she didn't know what to do, so she'd cry. And each and every time, the teacher would call me into, the, into her classroom, and I would just get annoyed at her, all right? That was just a mean brother. And so I would get annoyed at her, not again. And, you know, um, by the end of that first term, you know, she, she got an award. Irene got the award of most behaved. <laughs> Not because she was actually behaved. It's because she didn't know what was happening. She was just blissfully unaware. And, and, and the poor thing. And, but, you know, the, the fact of the matter is once she started talking, she never stopped. But, um, but sometimes we can live our lives that way. And, and, and there's things happening around us, but we don't understand it. We're just sort of sitting there like, what, what's going on? So we just sit there numb, sit there unaware, sit there a little bit ignorant of, of the need around us, of the need to step up, of the need to, to, to realize uh, that, that, that we live for such a time as this. You know, there was a time, perhaps this, this morning, where, where you weren't saved. And there was a time, perhaps, where... You, never put, you hadn't put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and maybe firstly, you're unaware of your lost condition. And, and uh, you know, all of us here, if, if we're saved, all of us here were like that before, right? None of us here were born saved. Can I get a witness this morning? We had to get saved. We had to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and Paul mentions that a little bit in his letter to Timothy. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. And notice what he says here in verses 12 and 13. And he, he, he brings out himself. He's, he's writing to his son in the faith, uh, Timothy. And so he's, he's reminding him about his own history. And he's saying here in verse 12, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. And, and you know, we saw, sort of look at Apostle Paul from, from the side of, of this side where he's written these letters, where he was a great apostle Paul, where he was saved, that, that God has, had used him greatly. But then he reminds us in verse 13 what he was. Notice this, who was before a blasphemer, a prosecutor, an, an injurious. But notice what he says, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. 
And what he was saying was, I was all of these. I had affected these because I didn't know the truth. And maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, well, our world's wonderful. Well, it looks like all of these technologies are coming through and life's so much easier now than it was before. And look at the developments. Look how progressive our world is. And you don't know the truth of the matter is this, that we're on a sinking ship. That this world is not a wonderful world. It's a wicked world, full of sin, full of vice, full of unrighteousness. And maybe you're just living your life blissfully unaware, not of the danger that, that it is to others, the danger that it is to you. That, that you're, you're headed in a, to, to an eternity and a destiny called hell because of the sins that you have committed. And yet, ignorance is no excuse. Just because you're ignorant of your situation, just because you're unaware of that, you, it doesn't mean that, that you'll be spared from harm. God will offer you, offer you His mercy, but you must receive His gift of grace. And I want to just say this morning, firstly, that if you've never put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that let me just, uh, let me just say plainly to you that you are in danger. But with compassion, I tell you this morning that there is a solution to, your, to that danger it's the Savior, Jesus Christ. And He's revealed Himself here on this earth. He lived 2,000 years ago and lived the perfect life so He can be the perfect sacrifice on the cross for your sins. And don't be ignorant of that, brethren, people this morning, friends this morning. Don't be ignorant of that. And here this morning, I hope that you'd be aware that you have a God who loves you and He loves you enough that He willingly sent His Son to die on your stead on the cross, shed His blood to pay for your sins. And I hope that it would be today, that now that you're enlightened and you're thinking about that, that the Spirit of God would convict you of your need and that you would accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. You know, I was like that in a, before as a seven-year-old boy. Even at seven years old, I understood my need for a Savior. I understood that I was a sinner and I understood that I needed to call out to Him for salvation. You see, as Christians, as Christians now though, we can't be ignorant of, of things, you know, the, the, the Bible tells us many times, it warns us not to be ignorant about certain things, the wiles of the devil. It says not to be ignorant about the rapture, not to be ignorant about the things that have already been taught. As Christians, we can't be especially though ignorant of our time. Each time is different, each era is different. And, and we're living in a time where I believe as you consider the scriptures and as you consider those things that are foretold of, of the end times that we are living in those last days. And we better recognize the season that we're in. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. And, and you could be ignorant, but then you could be this, this uh, person that's next level. And notice what the Bible says, 2 Peter chapter 3. And notice verse 3. Notice this, knowing this first that there shall come in, that la in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of, of creation. And notice what it, how they're described. For this they willingly are ignorant. And, and, and that, I believe, is in the context of those who would deny the reality of God, the, the, deny the reality of of a soon return of, of Jesus Christ. But, but in, in, in principle, it also, believe, I believe, 
speaks about some Christians who are willingly ignorant. See, there's a big difference between really ignorant and then being willingly ignorant. Being willingly ignorant is this. You know. You've been told. You've been given. You've been told the truth from Scripture. You've you've been shown the slides. You've been shown the statistics. You've been shown the need. And yet you still won't pray. You still won't give. You still won't witness. You still won't be faithful. You still won't obey. You still won't do right. You know what that is? Sorry, but you're willingly ignorant. You're just ignoring reality. You see, you can ignore reality, but it's still reality. You, you could say that, that there's no gravity, but there's still gravity, and you'll still be splat on the ground. Reality is reality. And, and sometimes we can be willingly ignorant, and, and that's what we must overcome. See, here Esther was ignorant of the problem. And by extension, then, she was ignorant of the opportunity that she had to effect change, to effect her generation. She did something about it, though. Just like Nehemiah, she found out. Just like Nehemiah, she sought to know. I, I remember as a kid, I was, so, I was such a curious child, really curious. And that put me in, uh, in, in bad situations at times. But that also it just fed my, my, my curiosity. I, I just loved to learn about things. I remember my dad would, would travel a little bit when I was younger. And oftentimes when he would come back, um, he knew my favorite thing that he would bring back was a remote control car. All right, I, I always loved those remote control cars. But, you know, I didn't know how they worked. And when I, when I would receive them and, and push the buttons or the, the, the stick, you know what I always thought? When I was that age, I was around five or six, I thought there was a little man that got poked that would drive the car for me. And, I, and, you know, I was always curious about that until one day I found a Phillips screwdriver. Now, in the hands of a five-year-old, that's a destructive thing. All right, and I would open up those things, and I would look for the little man. And, and my, my mom's laughing here at the front because she's, say, she's thinking about all those remote control cars that I destroyed. But I would look in there. I would look for the little man that's in there, and I couldn't figure it out. And, and you know, sometimes, sometimes it's just asking the right question that will alleviate our ignorance. Sometimes it's just wanting to know. And, and sadly, sadly, church, uh, can, I just, can I just say this kindly tonight, uh, this morning? Sometimes we'd rather not ask. You know, Esther didn't have to ask. She didn't have to pay attention. She was comfortable. Yeah, she may have been in some danger. She'll find out later on. But, you know, she was comfortable in the palace. She was comfortable in the, in the things that were surrounding her. And, and can I just say, uh, uh, Western culture, church, can I just say, Christians, we need to wake up to our responsibility. We can't be willingly ignorant. We can't just sit here and smile at me. We can't sit here and just smile at me as you shake your, my hand. And we can't just walk around with lost people around us and not do anything about it. Now, church, are we moved whenever a missionary will come? Next week, we're going to missionary that's going to come our way. And, and Lord willing, I'd, I'd love to see if we could support him in some way. He's going to go to a place I thought was imaginary, Zanzibar. <laughs> but there's souls there that need to be saved. And he's going to go over there and, and, and try, to, try, to, um, try to win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and church, 
if we're not careful, we can, we can be unaffected by that. We could just ignore the, the pleas. We could just ignore that. And, and uh, you know, the thing with Esther was that she asked. She found out something about it. And what she realized was that she was ignorant about the problem. See, she asked what it was. What, why was it? What was it that was concerning everyone? And, and have you ever asked yourself, you know, if you've observed some people, why are they behaving that way? Have you ever asked yourself, why do missionaries drop everything that they, they, they currently are doing? Why, why forego all of that potential? And why go do that thing? Have you ever asked that? What are they doing? Why, why, why are they behaving this way? Have you ever asked that yourself that? You know, I spent the week with Soren. We headed over to Brisbane Leadership Conference for the, for the edification, but for the purpose of introducing him to different pastors around Australia. And it was a blessing. You know, he picked up five churches, supported him, right? About 10 other churches want him to come through. And it was a blessing. It was a blessing for him to be received and to see God work in his life. But, you know, I think about him as one example of, of many around the world, but I think about him, and, and he's given up the potential of his youth to go do something in, in, a, in a land that really he was from, but he didn't grow up in. That's different to what he, got, he was used to. And I, I wonder about that why. And, and really, the reason is this, because there's a problem, because there's a need, because there's something to be done. And maybe you're sitting around and you're wondering why some Christians seem to be so bothered by the world and, and the urgency of the mission. They seem to just be so passionate, yet, yet you're, you're not. It's, it's got to do, perhaps with you and I, not being ignorant about the problem, being aware, but, but being willing to, to find out more. Nehemiah, when, when he met with this man who had just returned from the remnant, he asked him concerning the Jews that had escaped and concerning Jerusalem. And can I just say, we live in a unique time. And church, listen, there's an urgency. And, and the problem is there's a lack of laborers. And the Lord Jesus already told us to pray for laborers. For the harvest. You know, we came away from a time, and, and many of you were there. From a time where we were made aware once again of the problem. And to confess to you this morning... I was a little ignorant about the need. 4.7 billion people live in the 1040 window. And it is that 97% of them have never heard. 97% of the world's population that are unreached live in that region. Let that sink in this morning. And here we are in the comfort of our air-conditioned building. And that's a blessing from God. Amen? We're not, we're, I'm not denying that. That's a great thing. Praise God for that. But what are we doing? You know, we have a responsibility as, as, as we hear about perhaps even towns in our area that don't have the gospel. Maybe in Australia, cities in Australia that we've spoken of in the past that don't have good gospel churches. How about that? And, and sometimes, sometimes we're just unaware of the fact that we're just in a, in a time where there's great attrition rate when it comes to Christianity. 
we're living in the last days. There's a falling away. And, and, and I'm just saying that because, church, listen, we have cause to mourn. We have cause to be disturbed. Let's not just live in our bubble. And let's not just be willingly ignorant at times about the need and be unmoved. Why is it that we can't shed tears for those? Why is it that, that many times we hear better men than me exposit the Word of God and we're unmoved? And by extension, really she was ignorant about her opportunity. And in verse 8, is this what Esther didn't realize in Esther chapter 4? Is that, that her question here was also helping her solve her ignorance about her own responsibility. You see, I think that's why many of us would just choose to ignore it. I think that's why many of us would just choose to not ask the questions. It's because we're just, we're just happy where we are. We're just happy to live life. We're just happy not to know what our responsibility is. We're just happy not to know what the opportunity may present. And many Christians are like that. They're, they're ignorant about what they can do about the problem. And yet unknown to them, they may be the answer to the problem. They may be the ones that, that God would use. They may be the missionary. They may be the ones that would give so faithfully. They may be the ones that need to be that witness to that person that they encounter, with, uh, they encounter every day. They might be that friend that lead, would lead that one to Christ. They may be the, that Sunday school teacher that reaches that one, that reaches the multitude. I'm, I'm reminded of the story of Edward Kimball. And many of you would probably never heard of that name before. But Edward Kimball was a, was a, a Sunday school teacher there in Boston. And one day he was trembling before God. And one day he was just so nervous to talk to one of the young men in his church, an 18-year-old shoe salesman, whom we later on, will know to be D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody later on became a mighty preacher who shook two continents for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was said that, that Moody reached the millions through the ministry that he had there in the streets of Chicago. And yet this humble little man who was a Sunday school teacher, trembling nervous because he didn't know really what to say to this young man who was just 18, went and did what he could. And he reached D.L. Moody for Christ. Hey, can I encourage you in that vein, Sunday school teacher, some of you, you're probably thinking, well, what am I doing? They don't re even remember the verse from last week. Hey, listen, keep going. Hey, you, 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 might you, you might have an opportunity there. You certainly have a responsibility. But it might be your opportunity to just Maybe win that one. And listen, if we're, just, we're not ignorant this week to recognize the plight of people, we have a problem. There's a great problem of sin in the world. And yet we have the opportunity because we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the gospel. And so firstly, she had to overcome her, her ignorance. But then secondly, she had to overcome her indifference. You see, again, in, in verse 11, notice here, Notice Esther chapter 4, look at verse 11. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whatsoever, whatsoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court. 
And so she's, she's, she's re, re, um, re-emphasizing here and, and reminding Mordecai, who has requested for her to do something, who had enlightened her about the problem and the responsibility and the opportunity that she had to make a difference. And here she's, she's responding and saying, you know, I've not been called. I've just not been called. That's not, it's just not me. It's not time. In these 30 days, I've not been called. Maybe when he calls me in the next 30 days, I'll go in, is what she's implying. And here we see that she had to overcome her indifference. She, she, had, she was indifferent. You, you recognize there that even though she, she felt afflicted because of her people, she really didn't really do some, want to do something about it. See, you can feel bad. You can feel bad when you hear about the need. But unless you act, then you're indifferent. Unless we act as a church, unless we act as, as Christians today, then we're actually indifferent too. And, and here Esther had to overcome her indifference if she was going to realize the time that she was living in and make a difference. You see, often it's not in the knowing, but in the owning. We, we have to own our responsibility. We, we have to recognize that, that it's us. See, there's a big difference between knowing about the problem and doing something about the problem. And, and Esther, at this point, had to overcome her indifference. You know, too many Christians know about the problem. They've been taught. You, you've seen and you've heard. And again, yet they still won't pray. Yet they'll still won't witness. Yet they still won't give. Yet they still will offer up excuses. And look, all of us here, we can find an excuse if we wanted to. And here Esther found the excuse of timing. It just wasn't the right time. I haven't been called. It's only every 30 days. Don't you know the rule? And here she had an excuse of timing. Esther was looking for the call from the king. She was looking for a specific call. And listen, you could give an excuse this, this, um, this, this morning. Pastor, you don't understand. God hasn't called me. It's not the time yet. And listen, you do have a calling. It's black and white in your Bible. You don't have to wait for a calling. You've already been called. I've already been called. You don't have to wait till there's, a, there's something in the sky. You don't have to wait for a sign. God's given it plainly in His Word. And I hope that we would just take heed and not ex- offer up an excuse. Well, it's not time yet. And maybe some of you, you're, you're, you're thinking, well, well, Pastor, I'm just a young person. I'm just a youth. You don't understand. I don't, even know how to, I don't even know how to spell yet. I don't even know how to speak to people yet. You don't understand. Pastor, it's just not the right time. Pastor, I would be faithful. I would give. I would, I would give liberally. But right now, Pastor, you don't understand. I have other responsibilities. You don't understand. Uh, you know, the, the timing for me going, it's just not the right time. It just doesn't seem like it. And listen, God's just saying, act. Do it. I'm calling. I've already shown you. And maybe you're, you're, you're putting up the excuse of timing. See, Esther was indifferent. Why? Because she was waiting for the ideal time. And some of you, and many times I, had to wait for an ideal time. And yet, there's times where now is the time. And listen, many of us, time's passing by. 
You know, I realize there's a slew of 30-year-olds this year who turned 30 that, that were in my first graduating class when I was a first youth pastor. Time flies. I, I have some in this room who, who were children in, my, in our kids' club who are now looking for a lifelong partner. It just amazes me. It's, I have young people that, that I, I worked with who have families now and having their own children. What I'm saying is this, another generation's coming. And I'm asking myself, what have I done in this generation? Have I been waiting for the ideal time? And listen, there's no better time than the present to act on the things of God. There's no better time to trust God. There's no better time to recognize your, your place in this generation. There's no better time to do something for God than now. You see, even as he spoke to the, the disciples in John chapter 4, verse 35, as he looked at them and they were worrying about what to eat, and if he had eaten, he, he looked at them and he said, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then the harvest. Then he says, I say to you, lift up your eyes. And look on the fields, for are they already white unto harvest? And many of us, were, we're thinking, well, let's just go about and just live our lives and sort of just come through each day and try to get through each day and try to survive each day. And look, listen, there's many times where it's just like that. We just got to survive. But listen, don't miss what God would have for you to do now. Have a mentality that maybe God could use you to reap some sort of harvest in your area of work, in your area of community, in your area of, of influence. Don't miss that. Don't miss that because you're waiting and you're excusing. You know what that is? You're indifferent. And, and here she put up another excuse. She put up an excuse of being unaffected. She, she said this. Look at, look at the verse here. And um, in, in verse, uh, verse 13, Then Mordecai commanded, to answer Esther, think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. She, she was thinking, well, I'm safe in the palace. Well, it's safe here. I, I'm really unaffected here. Hey, look, there's, there's many things happening uh, around us that we're thinking, well, it, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't, doesn't affect me. And here Mordecai was reminding her, you know, you are one of God's people. And maybe Christian here, you're, you're probably thinking, well, if I don't do anything... It doesn't really affect me. But it does. It does. You're, you will perpetuate a culture in your home. You will perpetuate a, a thinking and a mentality that will be harmful to the next generation. You will perpetuate something where it will be a loss in your life. and It's not going to be a loss of salvation if you're saved. It's going to be a loss of reward, a loss of crowns that you cast at Jesus' feet. And listen, you'll mourn that day. You won't mourn now. You won't act now. You will be indifferent right now. But there will be a day where you won't be indifferent. There will be a day where sadly you're going to regret all of the time you wasted. All of the time you lived selfishly. All of the time you didn't confess. All of the time you just left and lived your life the way you wanted it to live. And God was calling you. And God was trying to tell you, you were born for such a time as this. But you would not, you would not overcome your indifference. You stared 
at the preacher with blank faces. You went home and you forgot about the message. You went home and you were willingly ignorant. You were indifferent. You know, I think about, I think about World War II. Well, where Franklin D. Roosevelt, who was the president of the United States, was phoned, was called by Winston Churchill, the British Prime Minister. They were trying to buy some war uh, planes from them. And, uh, and Roosevelt responded and said, look, I um, can't really do anything for you. They, they had an isolationist policy. They wanted to stay neutral in the war, not, be, not, not get involved. And so basically it was a denial. He, he did offer some things, but they had, to, they had to go through Canada to do it. And so uh, Churchill hung up that phone. And then two years later, there was a surprise attack at Pearl Harbor. And you know what ushered America into the war? was a surprise attack and their own citizens dying when they could have been involved right from the beginning and maybe changed the war for good. And, you know, sometimes we're like that. We, we can sit on the fence a little bit. We can say, well, I'm not called. Well, pastor, that's your job. Go get busy. <laughs> or maybe you're, you're thinking, well, it's not really my time. I'll, I'll, I have more time, pastor. You don't know that. And, and you can sit there until something happens. And, you know, it's often the, the curse of peacetime where its citizens are inactive. You know, um, I've been reading a lot about, about the history of manhood. And, you know, it's, it's just something about, about wartime that really builds good men. You know why? Because they have no choice. They can't be indifferent. They have to fight. They have to make a difference. And, you know, we sit here this morning, church, and I'm standing, you're sitting, but I'll include myself. Where well, we can be blissfully unaffected, so we think. And yet there's, there's people and they're perpetuating something, an attitude, a mentality, that, that will destroy the next generation. Faithlessness, unbelief, division, gossip, bad attitude, disobedience. And you're, you're walking around thinking, well, it's not affecting me. Look at my life. Hey, listen, you'll pay for it. And if I'm not careful, I'll pay for it. And, and church, we better, we better take heed. We, we better overcome our indifference. You can't sit on, sit on the fence and think you won't be affected. You know, really, you're the best sitting target. And so she had to overcome her indifference. But then lastly, she had to overcome her insecurities. And notice the last couple of verses in verse 16. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. She goes, go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. And so she's asking for a fast. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go unto the king. Notice that decision she made, a courageous decision, which is not according to the law. And she says this, and if I perish, I perish. And there, those words give us an insight into what, into what Esther was thinking. She was thinking, if I do this, I'm going to perish. 
if I do this, my comfort will be disturbed. If I do this, I risk myself. If I do this, I'm, I'm putting myself out there. If I do this, I'll be in danger. And she, she was insecure. Her feelings had become the, the thing that w- was guiding her sense of the, of the situation. And here Esther had to come to a point where she had to overcome her insecurities. And I, I, know, I know some things about insecurities. But church, I, I, don't, I don't feel like I deserve to pastor this church. Church, this, this, morning, this morning, I just want to tell you, there's, there's days where I just don't feel like, I just don't feel like I could do this. There's, there's mornings where I just, I just sit there and I go, I can't. There's, there's many greater men than me in this church. There's many more. There's many more that can do this. And I, I just feel like, I, I feel inadequate. I remember when, when I f- we first started talking uh, about just the, the, the transition into me pastoring this church. I, was, I had the soul mentality. I'm just a youth. Just, there's, there's many more grayer heads than me. They've got much more wisdom. I'm just a child. I don't know what to do. And I, I know all about insecurities. I've got them too. I know about those feelings of fear. Feelings of putting yourself out there and, and not knowing if you're going to be rejected or accepted. I know about that. That's my life every day. And that's, that's my life right now. I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself out. I'm the only one standing, standing here by the grace of God. But, but listen, I'm, I know about insecurities. I, I was never the, the public speaker in, in high school. I was the last one always to volunteer for that. I, I was the shy boy who hid behind my mom's skirt. Sometimes I feel like I need to sometimes. I was, I, was the, I was the unlikely. There was bigger personalities than me in the youth group. There were those that I thought were better leaders than me. Uh, there's, there's guys I look at and I go, boy, they've got, the, they've got all of it. Look at it. They, they're so talented. And I, I, and I just feel inadequate many times. But you know what? That doesn't excuse me from fulfilling the call of God on my life. It doesn't excuse me. Are my feelings... And my insecurities aren't the thing that leads me. They can't be in our lives as well. And, and um, you know, many times we, we look at ourselves and we can be in danger of looking at ourselves and looking at our situation and fearing. And, you know, Jesus said this, and I want to I take it to you in a, in a different, different light. He says, Jesus looking upon, the, upon them saith, with men it is impossible, but not with God. And certainly if you look at yourself, the thing that God has called you to do, to raise a family right, to be a witness, to be a faithful Christian, to make a difference in this time with man, you, me, it's impossible. But then he says, but with God, all things are possible. And listen, if we look at ourselves and if we focus on our limitations if we would allow our insecurities to rule us, then consequently what we do is we lose sight of an almighty God that we serve. Who by all means, is, 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 nothing is impossible to Him. And if we would make a difference in our time, we must look to God to overcome our securities. I, I think as Christians, we can be insecure about our number and our lack. 
But our eyes need to gaze upon a God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, who, 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 uh, the fullness, who owns the fullness of the earth, who still sits on the throne of heaven, full of power, full of majesty. And we need to look to Jesus who overcame death and rose again from the grave. And we need to look to Him and not to us. See, Esther understood, I think, eventually that this wasn't about her. It was God using her for her time. And she was specially given for such a time. And I'm speaking to, to the dads today who, who, who must fight this world's influence on their family, who must fight the, 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 the allure of the world in their children's hearts, who continue on, who, who aren't perfect themselves, who aren't always consistent, but will be with humility and with grace come to God and say, God, Look, uh, help me overcome my deficiencies. Help me strengthen me in my weaknesses. Help me to be a help. I'm speaking to the mom who tirelessly day in, day out has to feed and has to clothe and has to sometimes even work outside of the home and, and still goes on and still is faithful to church, still faithfully prays for her, her children. And I'm speaking to uh, some of you who are trying to do right in this life. And none of us are perfect. And none of us can claim that we've got it all together, that we've got our own insecurities, but we'll still overcome that. Why? Because we have a God who's able. We've got the Spirit of God who, who, who indwells us, who gives us power, who gives us grace, who gives us truth to guide. And when we need to overcome our insecurities, and, and here we see that she, she had to subdue firstly her flesh. You know what she said in verse, verse 16 there? She asked that every, every, every person of God, every Jew in the, in the city of Shushan would fast for her. And then she said this, and I will fast also with my maidens. And I think you understand what a fast is. A fast is foregoing those things that are necessary for the body. It's foregoing food. And here Esther's fast was not just food. It was food and water. And so she said, for, th- for those days, we're not going to eat. We're not going to drink. At times, if you, if you study it out biblically, if you, it's not physically possible for you to forego food. For example, if you're a diabetic, then you could forego sleep. And, and, and myriad of things, we're not, we won't take the time to study out fasting, but fasting is, is uh, foregoing those things that are necessary. It's putting aside our natural inclinations so that we can sense God's greater power. So we can ask for greater measure of, of faith. I think about the verse in Isaiah 58, 6. Is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? He's saying, I called for a fast because these things needed to be loosed. These things needed to be uh, awoken in my life. And, and, and you know, many times, the thing that gets in the way of us overcoming our insecurities is because we're so carnal. We're so fleshly. We're so absorbed with self. And what fasting will do is subdue that. And fasting has a way of breaking open those things that subdue our faith. And it helps us see God in all His powerful provision. You know, I remember uh, the, my first year pastoring, and I took a couple of men. And I just asked some of them to come and, and for three days fast. 
And we did that, and, and I remember God just blessing that year. And I, I've, I'll just be honest with you, church. Many times I've not done what I should have done. In that regard, many times I knew God was calling me to a fast. And you know what? I was indifferent. I sort of said, Lord, but it's a busy week. I'm going to need to eat. I'm going to need to feed this. Look at it. It's getting bigger. <laughs> I need to feed this thing. And I should have been fasting rather than eating. And, and it was a really, for me, I'm just being honest, an indication that the flesh was winning a little bit. And, and church, listen. There, I believe there's just times where God will call a fast. And you better just subdue the flesh. It's, it's part of your overcoming your insecurities. You see, when you're, when you're dependent on God and you're, you've, you've, all those things that you rely on, that your own strength, your, your own, your own um, livelihood in the sense of your, your sleep, when all of that is gone and you must depend on God, then those insecurities, those things that you so hold on to as an excuse, they no longer become. You're just relying on, you've got your eyes on God. You're just trusting in Him. And so she had to subdue her flesh. Secondly, really it was this, she had to master her feelings. See, she felt fearful. She felt like she could not do it. But here's the key phrase, she felt. And here's how it indicates that if I perish, I perish. She had to master her feelings. See, her feelings of fear and doubt had to be taken a hold of. And listen, um, part, of, part of our makeup as people, we have emotions. We have feelings. And God can use those feelings to warn us of dangers. We understand that. We know that it's a frightful thing. to, to you, you get frightened in certain situations. That's God-given, by the way, for us to fear. But, but listen, for, for us to allow our feelings to lead, that's a different story. And many times we don't cast down every imagination and every high thing which exalteth itself above God. And many times we allow our feelings of insecurity, our feelings of fear, our feelings of doubt, our feelings of inadequacy to stop us from being the people that God would use. And we're going about and we're just we're all about our insecurities. And we're letting, we're letting our feelings lead. See, feelings have their place, but really it's, it's, it needs to be the cart that's led by the horse. See, feelings really come after truth is obeyed. And, and there ought to be a great, a great pouring of emotion when, when God does something in our lives. When we obey and God does something and blesses, there ought to be a joyfulness. There ought to be a delighting. When God reveals something about, about our sinful condition, perhaps, there ought to be a brokenness about us. That's emotion. When, when someone's singing a great truth and, and it just touches our heart. And by the way, music is an emotional language. And, and it's someone singing out, pouring their heart out to the Lord. And that touches our heart. We ought to shed a tear. When we see someone lost that we've been praying for and, and in obedience we've been praying for them and they get saved, we ought to, with joy, sometimes cry out in praise to God. That's emotion. That's feeling. But the feeling doesn't come before the obedience. Obedience comes first. Obedience and truth need to be obeyed. Uh, truth needs to be obeyed before the feelings need to come. 
And so here we see that she had to master her feelings. And, you know, feelings can't lead if, you are, um, if you're going to do something for God that may, might make you uncomfortable. Feelings can't lead if, if God calls you to, to risk you, risk your future. Feelings can't lead if that's going to be the case. But see, too often we allow feelings to dictate how far we go for God. We allow our feelings to, to be the thing that guides us when it ought to be truth. I already mentioned many times I felt inadequate. Many times I felt, uh, I felt like I was a failure. Many times I, I felt like, uh, I felt like there was just a lack in my life that I just could not bridge. Uh, many times I, I read into situations and I, it was feelings that led me to that conclusion. And I know, because I'm not a robot, I know what feelings are. I know all of those things, but again, you have to master those because they can't lead you. Truth needs to lead you. And the truth for Esther was this. You're in a place that you can do something about it. You, you can't ignore the reality, Esther. You can't be indifferent and you've got to overcome your insecurities. And by the grace of God, she did. You know, how you feel, how you feel, listen, how you feel isn't an excuse to do wrong. Just because you don't feel like it doesn't excuse you from doing what's right. And feelings can't lead. And if Esther allowed her feelings to lead, then rescue would have come from other places. Then God would have had to manufacture another way. But it was Esther who was born for such a time as this. And listen, church, you and I were born for such a time as this. And church, this morning, you're, not, you're no longer ignorant. Many of you weren't ignorant in the first place. You were greatly aware. And maybe it's just a matter of not being willingly unaware. Maybe it's time to stop ignoring the problem and ignoring your responsibility. Maybe it's time to stop being indifferent to the cause. Maybe it's time for us to put away our excuses that way. And maybe it's time for us to just overcome our insecurities by stopping to look at God, not ourselves. But by relying on Him, not relying on our own strength. And listen, Esther was born for such a time as this. But we're born for such a time as this. We're responsible for our world. We're responsible for our generation. So will you overcome this morning? Will you overcome your ignorance if that's it? Will you overcome your insecurities? Will you not be indifferent? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you. And Lord, I thank you, dear God, for the time that we've had. Lord, I'm nothing without you. And Lord, none of us here can claim to live a life that's pleasing, that's impactful 
without you. So I pray, dear Lord, that you'd help us. And Father, I sense, Lord, a, Lord, in my spirit, just a, a real struggling this morning. Lord, I'm just being honest and transparent with you. I just pray that you'd help. Pray that you'd, you'd break asunder the, those things that we're struggling with. Perhaps it's feelings. Perhaps feelings about situations. Perhaps, Lord, our indifference, our coldness and apathy. And Lord, certainly, Lord, perhaps we've just been enlightened and we're aware now. So I pray that you'd help, Lord, in those areas. I pray that, dear God, if you've spoken, Lord, to us, that you would just work in our lives. That you'd help us, Lord, not to, not to waste this time that you've given us. Lord, help us to be like Esther and Nehemiah. Who, Lord, in their day, did something, Lord, who, who stepped up to the plate. Lord, who did right, even when it was hard. Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning. Lord, help us to steward this era that you've given us. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, as the piano plays, we're going to have a time of invitation. And I just want to ask firstly, maybe you're here this morning and you've, uh, you've never put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe firstly, I'd like to ask if you were to die today, would you know for sure that your sins are forgiven, that heaven's your home? You know, there was a point in my life where I had to understand that I was a sinner. And even as a seven-year-old boy, I understood that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. As a seven-year-old boy, I understood that there are the wages of sin is death, that there's a punishment for sin. And that was eternal separation in the lake of fire from God. But then I also understood that there was a Savior who loved me, who willingly laid down his life, and because of his sacrifice for me, I can have a sure way of getting to heaven. That through him my sins were forgiven, and that I only needed to call upon him and turn to him for my salvation. So maybe you're here this morning, and just with an uplifted hand, I won't embarrass you, I won't call you out, I'll simply pray for you, just with an uplifted hand. Pastor, I don't know. If I were to die today, I don't know if I would be saved. Anyone here this morning with that, in that situation? If I were to die today, I wouldn't know if I was going to heaven. I wouldn't know if my sins are forgiven. Is there anyone here this morning just with an uplifted hand? I won't embarrass you, I won't call you out. Maybe you're a guest. Maybe you're a regular attendee. If I were to die today, I wouldn't know. Is there anyone this morning? All right, then Christian. How are you going in this generation? How's your service? How's your, how's your urgency? Are you involved in solving the problem or are you just willingly ignoring it? Are you, are you active in, in doing something impactful for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you an active part of this church? Are you, are you not indifferent? Are you passionate? about the things of God? Have you overcome your feelings and now it's not about your feelings, it's about what's right? And maybe just this morning, just with an uplifted hand, just say, Pastor, pray for me. The Lord spoke to my heart. So anyone this morning, Pastor, pray for me. The Lord spoke to my heart. I see that hand. See those hands. See those hands. Thank you. Anyone else? Pastor, pray for me. Um, Pastor, pray for me. I see those hands. Thank you. See those hands. 
Anyone else? Pastor, pray for me. I want to do something for the Lord. I don't want to waste my time. I see that hand. Thank you. see that hand. Thank you. Well, while, while the piano is playing, if you, if you raise your hand, I want to invite you to come to the altar this morning. If you raise your hand, I want to invite you to the altar this morning. Why don't you just pray and ask the Lord to help you. And If you raise your hand, why don't you come to the altar this morning? Why don't you, would you just do business with the Lord? Why don't you just allow Him to speak to us? And No, you could sit in your seat, but it's comfortable there. You could sit in your seat, but it's comfortable there. So if you raise your hand, just want to invite you to come. Why don't you come to the altar this morning? Oh, with every head bowed, every eye closed, everyone could stand. You can stand to your feet. Why don't we just have a quiet time this morning? Some have come already. If you haven't, then you need to come. The altar's there for you. Uh, the altar's not just in your heart. It's a place. And you need to come. And maybe that the Lord's spoken to your heart. All right, the, the piano's playing. Let's all just stand quietly to our feet and allow the Holy Ghost to just speak to us.